turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5. I'm beginning a two-part series on the Beatitudes. Uh, you know those verses that begin with blessed or blessed? Uh, in fact, I saw Marion's shirt, it says blessed. That could be the title for my sermon. You want to be, stand up? Anyway, uh, the, the Beatitudes are the, are the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, some say that, that uh, the Beatitudes are the text for this sermon that Jesus preached, and the rest of it is the, the exposition and the application of the text. This is the longest recorded message of Jesus. It's been also called the greatest message of Jesus. Uh, Jesus preached it to the crowd, but it was primarily for his disciples, for believers. So what was the purpose of this sermon? And we're not going to look at the whole sermon. We're just going to look at the Beatitudes the next two weeks. Uh, but in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27, he says, Therefore, that means looking back to what all he's just talked about, in light of what he's just said, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded the, that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Now Jesus said there are two ways to build your life and two things that people base their lives on. You can either build your life on something that lasts, or something that doesn't. And one leads to a great life, and one doesn't. So which do you want? Well, most people say they want to have a full life, a good life, a life of blessing. So how do we get it? How do we get the life that stands up when turmoil is all around? Well, that's what Jesus spoke about in this sermon. So what are the Beatitudes? Well, someone said they are the be attitudes, the attitudes that we're supposed to have, uh, they are the description of the character of a Christian. One author said the Beatitudes are the outward evidence of the work of God in you. Now we can't just decide one day, well, hmm, I'm going to put on the, the Beatitudes because it doesn't work like that. Uh, rather, this is what happens when the Holy Spirit is at work in you. The word Beatitudes is often translated either blessed or blessed or happy in your, trans, in your scriptures. Some of them will, most of them will say blessed, but some of them will say happy. It means the inward contentedness that's not affected by what's going on around you. Now there's a song on the radio now, on Christian radio, uh, by a group called Cain called I'm So Blessed. And during the chorus it's got these words, and I love it because it's truth. On my best day, I'm a child of God. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. Oh, every day is a good reason, good day, and you're the reason why. I just love that. On my best day, I'm a child of God, and on my worst day, a child, I'm a child of God, and that doesn't change. So in the Beatitudes, Jesus is talking about a life that's not affected by the things going on around us. Now, there's a good illustration of that in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in Philippi. And while they're in Philippi, they, they started a church there, but they're, 
they're walking to the place where, where the congregation was going to meet. And, and they were being followed by this girl that had a demon in her. And she kept crying out, These are servants of the Most High God. These are servants. On and on and on. And it irritated them. So Paul turned around and cast the demon out of this girl. Well, she had owners. And they realized that they weren't going to be able to make money anymore. So they went and told the civil authorities. And the civil authorities went and grabbed Paul and Silas and had them beaten and thrown in jail. For doing the will of God, they were in jail. And the scripture says that at midnight, they're singing God's praises. They've been thrown in jail. They've been beaten unjustly. And at midnight, they're praising the Lord. Now, most of us in our society today would be complaining about the, the, the treatment that we got that wasn't just. Or whining about how much it hurts. They didn't. They were, they lived out the Beatitudes and, and, and the fruit of the Spirit. Their, their lives reflected that. And then later Paul wrote, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Wow. And in Romans, Paul wrote, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Beatitudes, what's reflected on the outside of what you are on the inside. Now, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote one of the best commentaries on the Sermon on the Mount. I've got it. It's an old, old copy, or it's an old, old two-volume set that I've got. And he, it's a classic on, on these verses. He wrote, it's wrong to ask anybody who's not a Christian to try and live and practice the Sermon on the Mount. To expect Christian conduct from someone who is not born again is heresy. Then he, but then he went on to talk about what it means for Christians. He said the Beatitudes describe the character of all Christians. All Christians are to manifest all these characteristics, and they describe the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, what, what they admire, what they seek, what they do, what they believe they can do. And then he finally points out that Christians and non-Christians come from two entirely different groups because they should not reflect each other. So we come to our text this morning, Matthew chapter 5. Stand in honor of God's Word as we read this morning. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. 
for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, thank you for your word. Open it up into our hearts and lives, and we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, when Jesus preached this, he was talking about what the Holy Spirit does in us. Uh, it happens because we submit to, to God working in us, and, and some people will say, well, why would we want those? I mean, when you look at it, poverty, mourning, excuse me, mourning, meekness, persecution, those don't sound like happiness. Uh, to the world, they sound like misery. The world says, happy are the rich, happy are the successful, the macho, the popular. But are those things really enough? Do riches and success and power really sat bring satisfaction that lasts? Well, I don't think it does. And in the lives of these two men, it didn't. Nelson Rockefeller was the richest man of his day. One day someone went to him and said, Okay, Nelson, tell me, how much money is enough? His one-word answer was simply, more. Riches didn't satisfy for him. Howard Hughes was a successful businessman, aviation engineer, film producer, and one of the richest men of the world of his day. Yet he could not find peace and happiness. When he died, he died alone in a private jet, flying from hospital to hospital, trying to find treatment for his phobias. His fame and fortune didn't bring him joy or peace. So what does? Well, Jesus gives us the answer in this message. First, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the first key to joy and happiness is spiritual poverty. Does that sound right? The language actually says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs and only theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we can say the kingdom of heaven belongs only to those who are poor in spirit. So what does that mean? Well, in the New Testament, there are two words used for poor. One of them um, was used in Luke 21 when Jesus talked to, or, or when Luke wrote about the, the lady that came through. Jesus was sitting in the treasury, and the lady came, the little lady that came, and put in two coins. And Jesus said, she's given more than the rest of them. You know the lady I'm talking about? The language implies that she's poor, but it's not the word that Jesus uses here. The word that Jesus used means to shrink or cower or cringe, as beggars often did in that day. Classical Greek used the word to refer to a person who was reduced to total destitution who crouched in the corner begging and often covered their face because they were too ashamed for people to see who they were. This is a word that was used for Lazarus that sat outside the house of the rich man and begged for just the crumbs that fell off his table. We call that begging poor. People who are broken and hopeless, they have no pride. They've given up on themselves and cast themselves on the mercies of others because without the mercy of others, they would die. They're destitute and they know it. And Jesus used this word to describe people who are poor in spirit. And he said, they are blessed. But he wasn't talking about their financial condition. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? 
Well, Jesus said first, it refers to uh, we realize that before God we're nothing. We have nothing, and, that's worth, and there's nothing in us that's worthy of gaining eternal life. And we submit to him in utter desperation. We're totally dependent upon the Lord for eternal life. We agree with the scripture, there's none righteous, no, not one. Paul used that when he quoted from Isaiah. One commentator said it means to look into the face of God as a mirror and see what we're really like spiritually. It's like what Isaiah saw in Isaiah uh, 6. The scripture begins, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was seated high and lofty on a throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple, and the angels were around him, holding, crying back to each other, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And it said, The foundations of the doorways shook at the sounds of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, Woe is me! For I'm a sinner, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and I've seen the Lord. He realized, looking at God face to face, what a sinner he was. Of course, the good thing was the angel went and took uh, tongs and took an all. Uh, coal off the altar and put it on his mouth and he was cleansed. But that's what, I, what Jesus was talking about. When we come to the place that we know we're spiritually destitute, when we realize we can do nothing to gain eternal life despite our best efforts, when we rely totally upon God and know that if he doesn't provide eternal life for us, we have no hope. And when we surrender, then we're poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to recognize our spiritual poverty apart from God. It's to see ourselves as we really are hopeless, helpless, and lost. And then we can be saved. Another word for poor in spirit is humility. The poor in spirit submits himself humbly to God and realize that real life exists, realize that real life exists only in Him. It's to pray, Lord, I need what you have to offer. I need eternal life. Saved me. It's to surrender, recognizing that we cannot get to heaven on our own. And then Jesus says, only the spirit bankrupt are the ones that are truly happy because they're the ones that will see uh, the kingdom of heaven. They're the ones that have eternal life. The message translates this verse, the blessed, excuse me, you're blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. Another version of the Bible puts it this way. Blessed are the desperate. Only they shall enter the kingdom of God because they have cast themselves upon the mercy of God. Blessed are the broken, the lost, the hopeless and that know it, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the second one is built on the first. 
mourning that becomes joy. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What does it mean to mourn? Well, it, the, the word means a deep sorrow that causes the soul to ache and the heart to break. Many of you have experienced mourning. You know what, what I'm talking about? The word carries the idea of a deep inner agony that's sometimes expressed by weeping and wailing and, and a passionate lament. So what about mourning brings blessedness and joy? Well, Jesus was talking about our attitude towards sin. Blessed are you who are broken over your sin. It begins when we're spiritually uh, impoverished. We realize that because of our spiritual poverty that, that, that we have to repent of that sin. And then we mourn over it. We're broken over it. And we grieve over what it cost the Lord to save us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For the sorrow that's according to the will of God re produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. And the word that Jesus talked about wasn't to be sorry one time over our sin, but to be continually mourning over our sin. And it's not being sorry because of the consequences of our actions. When I was uh, uh, in Boy Scouts, we got caught doing some things we shouldn't have been doing. Uh, without adult supervision, sometimes teenage boys do things they shouldn't do. Well, somebody called the police, and we got caught. And let me tell you, I was sorry. I was sorry we got caught. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Because there were consequences to getting caught. I didn't have to go to jail or anything like that, but... I think my mama was worse in jail, let me just say. But this is, this is being broken over your sin. This kind of grief in, includes mourning over the sins of the lost, not just your own sins, the sins of other people. Mourning over the sins of the church and mourning over the, the consequences of sin in our society, to be broken over that. Jesus said the result is comfort. In our context, comfort means forgiveness. Blessed are those who are mourn over their sin because they'll be forgiven. And that brings joy. And then the third one is, is blessed are, are the meek, uh, for they shall inherit the earth. That comes from Psalm 37, 11 that says, But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. So what's meekness? You know, we don't have a very good idea of what meekness is in our society. The Greek word means mild or soft, and we kind of think about it that way. It's used to describe a, a soothing medicine or a gentle, gentle breeze. But when it talks about people, there are four different words that are used to translate meekness. Gentle or humble or considerate or strength under control. It's a word that can mean a wild stallion that somebody has roped and brought under control where they can ride it. It's still just as strong as it ever was, but it's meekness under control. Uh, it, it, excuse me, it's strength under control. It's, it's that control the Holy Spirit has upon you that when you're slapped on the right cheek, you're willing to turn the other. I read a story a few years ago about 40 meek men. They were, this hap actually happened in 320 A.D. in Sebaste in the mountains of Armenia. And in 320 A.D. was one of the coldest winters 
of that time. And I don't know how they know that. They just know. Anyway, an order had come from the Roman emperor. His name was Valerius Licinius, Licinius, that every man, woman, and child had to bow down before him and say that he was God. 320 A.D. Well, there was a group of the Roman army of soldiers called the Thundering Legion, known for their, their exploits, known for their courageousness, known for, for their, their strength. They had a reputation all across the Roman Empire, and they were stationed in, in Armenia. Well, the emperor wasn't satisfied just that they were strong and that they, they had, had served him faithfully. They wanted them to bow down. Remember, these are strong men. They're trained to defend 16 square feet with their life. And when it came time for the day to bow down before the emperor, 40 of them said they could not. 40 of them said, we are Christians, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and we cannot bow to anyone else. And so they were condemned to be executed. How were they going to be executed? Well, they were real uh, far-reaching in their ideas, and they decided, here's what we're going to do. We're going to strip them naked. We're going to march them out in the middle of this frozen lake and let them stay there and freeze to death. They were not deterred. They led them to the edge of the, them to the, edge of the lake. They, they stripped them down. They marched out into the middle of the lake where their comrades said, oh, they'll be back. They won't do it. Their general didn't want, want him to go. He begged him, says, just bow down. And, and they wouldn't do it. They built a big fire on the edge of the, of the lake. They put a tent up and said, whoever wants to can come back and come out. After about three or four hours, one soldier left. But it affected the sentence. The I lost the word. The, the soldier that was standing there on guard. And he looked at his general and he said, I will be the man to replace him. And so he walked out across the ice, took his clothing off, walked out across the ice, and was with the others who prayed to God that they be brave and they begin to shout. Here die 40 men for Christ. In the morning, there were 40 corpses out on the ice. Men who had frozen to death, who'd sacrificed for their faith and belief in Christ. They were meek men because they were under the control of the Spirit of God. A judge ordered that their bodies be uh, burned and their, their ashes thrown into the river. 350 years later, in a chapel in the form of Rome, a plaque was dedicated to these 40 soldiers, which still hangs there today. And it's engraved with the words, Here die 40 men for Christ. Meekness is based on humility, not weakness. It's a result of a change that Christ can make in someone's life as they come under the control of the Spirit of God. So meekness builds upon the first two Beatitudes. As a person is, uh, is broken over their sin, they, they realize that, that they're spiritually 
impoverished. They're dependent upon God for eternal life. They mourn their sin. They become strength under control. Um, and what shall they inherit? It says the meek shall inherit the earth. It doesn't mean this world we look out upon us. It means to inherit peace with God. Anyone who's meek is always satisfied and already content. It's to have Christ's reign in you. Well, the fourth talks about hunger that's a blessing. Now, I don't know what you can hear right now. My stomach's rumbling. I can smell that food back there, and probably some of you are too. So you don't have to go anywhere. If I go a little bit longer today, you're going to be taken care of earlier than if you had to go somewhere. So just hang with me. Unless you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will not have it. It has to be a priority. Um, and, and Jesus did, say, did not say, hungry, excuse me, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after happiness. He says, happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Righteousness means justification, being right with God. And sanctification means becoming more and more like Jesus. Righteousness is a desire to be free from sin. Because sin separates us from God. It's a desire to be free from the power of sin. How many of y'all have been tempted today? Okay, got a few heads, yeah. It's a desire to be free from the desire from sin. I hate just the desire for sin. Uh, righteousness is a desire to get rid of everything that keeps us from our relationship with Christ. So what do we hunger and thirst after it? Well, Jesus used language that meant that we're desperate. It's language that, that, that implies uh, life is ebbing out and I have an urgent need to meet, uh, to meet that. Then Dr. Martin Lord-Jones that I quoted from earlier said, if you don't hunger after righteousness, then you're not saved. A desire for heaven without a desire for righteousness means we'll spend eternity in hell. And then he, this is another quote, he says, if we have a desire to go to heaven, but do not have a desire to be like Jesus, to be with Jesus' people, to study his word, then there's something seriously wrong in our spiritual life. Why should we hunger and thirst after righteousness? Because only then can we be satisfied. It's, it's a paradox. When we want more of God, we're filled with God, and that makes us want more and more and more to be more and more like Jesus. And only that satisfies. I don't care how many people like, like Nelson Rockefeller say, if I just had more money, I'd be happy. They're self-delusioned. Or someone like Howard Hughes, who, who was clearly a genius. He, he knew how to make money. He knew how to make, he was an uh, aircraft I engineer. Uh, he was involved in Hollywood. Uh, most of the, of the films that, that were shown, the newsreels that were shown overseas and, and in movie theaters before movies that showed what was going on in World War II, that was Howard Hughes. All that stuff. And he died alone, unhappy, without peace. The way to have peace is to have peace with God. And we have peace with God when we're saved, when we know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, when we recognize that without Him, we have nothing, we are nothing, and we can never be anything. We realize that, that it is our sin that sent Jesus to the cross, and we're broken over it. 
It means to become controlled by the Spirit of God. And that happens day by day by day as we surrender to Christ. And as we seek after righteousness. Jesus says, you want to really be happy? You've got to throw away the world's idea of happiness because it doesn't satisfy. But only in Christ can we find satisfaction. Only in Christ can we find real joy that doesn't depend upon our circumstances. Only in Christ is life worth living. Father, we're so thankful for the life we have in Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord, that there was a time you convicted us of our sin and of our need for a Savior. Break us, Father, day after day after day over our sin. May we surrender anew to you each day that we might be under control of the Spirit of God. Not weak, but strong in Christ. And then may our greatest desire as Christians be to become more and more and more like Jesus, to please you and honor you and to bring you glory as we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Father, satisfy us with you. And may we seek our satisfaction with you. And may we repent when we seek our satisfaction in anything else. May we live our lives, Father, in a way that not only brings you glory, but that demonstrates that we love you more than anything else. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us. Thank you, Jesus, for making this life that we have possible. And thank you, Jesus, because in your name, we're able to come into the Father's throne room and pray this. And we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Are you poor in spirit? Do you know Jesus is Lord and Savior? Then praise the Lord right now. Ask Him to make you more and more like Him. Are there people that you know that are lost without Christ? Pray for them. As God has spoken to your heart today, if there's a decision you need to make, I encourage you to come forward and make the decision, or at least write it on one of the, the, the uh, communication cards that are like this in your pew, and put it in the offering box so we can pray with you about your decision. Let's stand. We're going to sing our invitation hymn. You move as God moves you.